thank you, choir, for always blessing us. I, like many of you, I always enjoy the outdoors. It could be from working in the yard, you know, pushing the lawnmower, or it could be on a playground. I've just always loved the outdoors. As strange as it might seem, I've really enjoyed mowing the lawn. I don't know if it's the sound, the roar of the lawnmower, or the constant vibration of the handles on the lawnmower, but it somehow gives me a peace, gives me a momentarily a momentary detach, detachment from the day's routines, the day's to-dos that we all have to do. But however, even though I love spending time in the yard, I love doing yard work, doing yard work cannot compare to a great day on the playground. Nowadays, my, my days are limited to not to, I, I don't do many slide, sliding on slides or going on merry-go-rounds as many of you probably don't as well. But I have found that this past summer is just as entertaining as I watch others, more specifically my nieces, enjoy their time sliding down slides and getting dizzy on the merry-go-rounds. In the midst of watching my nieces play with other children and go from the swings to the merry-go-rounds to the, to the different objects there in the playground, I noticed the children as they were going to the slide and they were climbing the, la- climbing the ladder, getting ready to slide down the slide next. I noticed that there was one child, one child, a little girl who was a little apprehensive, a little anxious about her trip down the slide. As she made her way up the ladder, you could see this fear that she had. But more than that, she had this this look of sheer determination, of almost like she was saying, you know, I'm going to do this. I am that little engine that could. I can do this. I can do this. And so as she went from one step to the other and she stood atop the slide, she saw the child in front of her slide down, and it was her turn next, and she stood and watched him go down. And when she was just about to sit down on the slide, that look of sheer determination turned into a look of fear. She, considered, she looked at how high she was off the ground. She looked at how far she had to go and what well, she couldn't do it. Even though she had the courage, the determination to do it, at, when it got to that point of taking that journey down the slide, she, she decided not to. Making those, fir- those first few steps for her were easy. Well, not really easy. But she did it. She was determined to do it. However, when she, w- when she considered making that last step, that next step, that next step proved too daunting for her. In our biblical passage this morning that Glenn read, it tells of Jesus' encounter with a man. Some gospels call him the rich young ruler. Some call him a, a ruler. Some call him just, well, just a man, as it is in Mark. But in Christian tradition, we, of course, we regard him as the rich young ruler. Now his encounter with this this man, this ruler, comes right after 
Jesus' reprimand of the disciples when they tried to hinder, tried to stop the children from coming to him. And after the, it's after this encounter, Jesus starts on his way going to his, his next teaching. Jesus has a man, this ruler, this young guy, fall on his knees in hopes of maybe finding what he can do to inherit eternal life. After hearing that this man has kept all the commandments, he knows all the commandments. Jesus looks at him, loves him, and he says, you know, you lack one thing. And then he tells them something that seems nearly impossible he tells them, tells him to sell all he has, not to keep the money like he would expect, or like many of the day would expect, but he tells him to give the money, the proceeds to the poor, and then he will have treasure, eternal life in heaven. Which then leads Jesus to say, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Well, the disciples, meanwhile, they, they're around, of course, and so they hear Jesus' exchange with the man. The disciples, they're shocked at Jesus' words. I can picture the disciples looking at each other, wondering, did he really just say that? Did he really mean that? You know, they were had this look of disbelief all over their faces. Perhaps they even threw their hands in the air, thinking, saying, well... Who then can be saved? There was no mistake in that all those around were confused. After all, in the culture and context, it was believed that the more riches and the more possessions a person had, the more blessed they were, the more favored they were by God. This passage, it talks about wealth. It reveals the struggle of the man who comes across as one who can't take that next step. However, this passage involves more than wealth and possessions. It involves decision-making. It involves commitment. And it talks about the separation from God that the man has and we also have. This passage leads us to question things, things in our lives, the attitudes that we possess and the practices that we have in our lives. Those things that keep us from a total commitment. This passage is about ending the separation that we have from God and taking the next step. Similar to the young girl on the slide, this rich young ruler, young man, man, whatever you want to call him, Similar to the young girl, he comes to Jesus. He stands on the brink at the crossroads of a, of a momentous decision. But you know, we are like the man in the Scripture, as well as the child in the playground. We're hesitant at times to venture into the unknown. Sometimes taking a step into the future is difficult for us to grasp. Children and parents as well are often nervous about the first day of school when we prepare to go out on a first date 
Not the first date with a particular person, but the first date ever. It can be terrifying. When we leave an established career to start a new business, it's regarded as a blind leap of faith. Or better yet, if being a guinea pig for an experimental medical treatment in hopes of improving our health fills us with fear, the what-ifs, and the uncertainty. No matter who we are, no matter where we are on life's journey, each of us, we stand at the crossroads where we can choose to take the next step or remain where we are. The young man depicted in the scripture was like many others in the day who were drawn to Jesus. Perhaps he sought Jesus out because he was curious. He wanted to see what all the fuss about, all the fuss was about considering this Jesus figure. Or maybe the man, the ruler, who appeared to have everything he had, everything anyone could really want, maybe he was seeking something deeper, something more than riches, something more that possessions could give you, Maybe he was seeking to fill a void in his life. Jesus, of course, he knows all things, and so he knew the void in this man's life. And Jesus wanted to fill it. But when Jesus told him to sell all he had and give the money away to take the first step, to take the next step, the man grew sad because he knew that he his money, his possessions, and made him feel like he was a person of worth, like he mattered. And parting with his money, his possessions, his things would be a step that he hadn't considered before. You know, I think it's very important to point out here that Jesus was not condemning money or possessions, but he was warning what money, possessions, attitudes, what other things in our lives can do, which is to separate us from God. You know, if, with, with not even being aware of it, if we're not careful, money and possessions, things, can lead us to fix our eyes on the world, what's right in front of us, the things that we want, the things that we desire, and when we do that, we... Don't fix our eyes, our hearts, on God. Which, of course, separates us from God. But you know, it's not just the love of money and the resources that separates us from God. There are things in each of our lives that separate us from God. Some things include our attitude, our political stances, our hobbies, and the grudge that we've been carrying around for months and years. Things such as these and others, they separate us from God. They create a barrier between us and God. It's almost as if God is reaching for us because He is. But because we're holding on to that grudge or we have that stance that we won't give up or we won't see a, a middle way, a way for, to meet others, having those things in our lives that separate us from God. 
those things take precedence in our lives. However, it is God who is to have precedence in our lives. And God is calling us to fix our lives, to fix our hearts on Him. Those, of course, who heard Jesus' pronouncement, those disciples and others concerning the rich, they were amazed. Why would Jesus say such a thing? I bet they wondered, if having riches was a sign of God's favor, and now Jesus is making it clear that having riches has little to do with God's favor, then it makes sense as we look at the text why there was so much confusion. Jesus was speaking contrary to what they believed, what they had seen in the world around Him. Which leads the disciples to say, who then can be saved? Jesus here, he, in essence, He agrees with the disciples. He agrees with them just a little bit. But then He says something as we Read through the text, past verse 21, around verse 27, I think. There was nothing that they could do that would save them. There was no riches they could have. There was no possessions they had in their grasp. There was nothing they could do to save them. And we're no different. We can't do it on our own, but God can do it for us. That's the definition of grace. God doing it for us. God saving us. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the step the rich man, the rich young ruler couldn't take. Giving it all up and following Jesus. This passage, it confronts us. And the one area we don't like to be confronted on, commitment. When we talk about commitment, it's tough. Because we know that we really want to commit to something, it means that something else is going to have to drop. Or something else is going to have to be lower on the totem pole. The next step in our lives may be offering forgiveness to someone who has angered us. It may be focusing on our relationships and not so much on our careers or standing in the community. For those in the church, those here this morning, our next step could be to join the church. Our next step could be finally accepting that invitation to attend a Sunday school class that someone has willingly and Invite us to time and time again. Our next step might be in the form of an estimate of giving card that may have or may or that will come to your house in the next few days. We also may be called to take the next step by serving on that church committee that we've been dodging for years because we have this notion that we're not right for the job. Whether we're a successful professional or a parent of three or both, or even a child on the playground, we, all of us, were standing on the brink, on the cliff of something 
momentous. The same invitation that was given to this young man is given to us. Come, follow me. Is the invitation that we, we indeed have to take that step. But that step is not for us alone to take. It's a step that Jesus is calling us and He's walking with us through. As you go about this day and this week, I encourage us all to think about the next steps that God may be calling us to in our lives. Because with God, all things are possible. Let's pray together. Gracious God, I thank You for this day. I thank You that You have called each and every one of us, Lord, to take that next step. But Lord, taking that step is often scary, is frightening, and we have doubts. But Lord, through You, because of You, we can do it. And Lord, we ask that You would allow us to have the courage, to have the faith, and to trust that You are leading us to take that next step. In Your name, Amen.